Legendary musician David Bowie once said, I don't know where I'm going from here, but I promise it won't be boring. And that's the theme for today's podcast with Kevin Rose. Let's go. Alright guys, welcome back to another episode of the Millennial Momentum Podcast. This is your host, Tom Alamo. You can find more info on everything we're doing for Millennial Momentum on millennialmomentum.net. You can find me at Tommy Tahoe on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, everywhere else. And the whole point of this show is that you know it's, it's personal development for millennials, trying to get to the next level, whether it's business, whether it's finance, whether it's personal relationships, the list goes on. I think you need three things, right? You need an insatiable work ethic, you need a really positive attitude, and you need a little momentum, which is forward motion with energy. And I'm hoping that this show can help be a spark for that. And so can the blog and the newsletter. Um, and I think it is for me, too. So I've got some big goals I'm, I'm tackling here at the end of the year, going into next year. I know you're the same way. So um, without further ado, um, let's get into today's show. And, and if you do find value, please, the only thing I ask, I do all this outside of a full-time job in sales. Um, I don't make a dime on this yet. So um all I ask is that you head over to iTunes, wherever you're listening, subscribe, rate, leave a review, share it with a friend on Twitter or email or text, or just spread the word. Um, it's a passion of mine, and you know I'd really appreciate it. Um, today, today's episode is awesome. Uh, I have Kevin Rose on, and he is a legend in the tech space and the investing space. Here in the Bay Area, anywhere on the West Coast, um, if you're not familiar, Kevin Rose, he's a builder, he's an investor, he's a meditator, um, and you may have seen him around. He's been featured on the cover of Inc., Business Week, Red Herring. He's named a top 25 angel investor by Bloomberg, a top 25 web celebrity by Forbes, a top 35 innovators by MIT, one of the top 25 most influential people on the web by Time and Business Week. Uh, today, he's a venture capitalist at True Ventures. He's a CEO of Oak Meditation, and he hosts his own podcast, The Kevin Rose Show. And, you know, what I love about Kevin is that he just does things his own way, and he plays through life, right? He, he doesn't have material objects that he's defining as success. He doesn't have, um, you know, just ungodly hours that he works and he drains himself. And maybe he did that when he was younger, but the way he lives life now is that he finds things that he's passionate about, meditation, uh, fasting, investing, technology, uh, brewing tea, you know, all these different things and finds ways to build businesses around them, grow his skill set, and, and play his way through life. And, you know, it's really helped him to become, you know, a really well-rounded guy. And, and in this episode, we talk about really a whole range of topics from Tony Robbins to you know how to invest to overriding your fear of failure, living life as a minimalist, um, you know his tips and how he runs his days and um, just a really interesting episode. There's something for everyone in this one. Um, Kevin is really renowned in this area and, and I think I learned a lot, and I think you could learn a few things from him as well. So without further ado, let's get into my conversation with the Kevin Rose. 
All right, Kevin Rose, good afternoon. Welcome to the show. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you uh, reaching out and getting me on the show. It's funny. I saw, I was listening actually this morning to your podcast with Tony Robbins that you just put out. And uh, I think we we're, I didn't confirm this before we kicked off, but I think we were actually at the same conference. Were you at the UPW in, uh, in San Jose earlier this year? Yeah. Yeah. He had, um, well, he'd been on Tim Ferriss' show a bunch. And I have always liked um, some of his talks that I've seen. So reached out to him and he invited me to come down to the San Jose. And uh, I'd never been to one of uh, you know his shows before. And I had a lot of fun. I thought it was great. Yeah. Did he bring you on stage? I thought he like did. for a second that yeah. he said Kevin Rowe. Okay. That's funny. Yeah. It was just yeah. <laughs> real quick. I was not expecting that. And it's kind of a crazy thing to go up uh, in front of that many people. But it was fun. Yeah. That's awesome. And and you thought it was a pretty helpful experience, the show as a whole? Yeah. I mean, I think that um, the one thing that I like about Tony is that he tends to really believe in how to to live um, and how to create a, 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 a blueprint for your life and really just mm. a planned life. And I thought that um, some of the instructions and some of the things that he had us do was really helpful. I mean, I for me, I tend to dabble around and read all, all different types of books and have it all different types of authors on my show. And, um, you know, there's certain things that you pick up from each one of them and there's certain things that you discard. And I, I um, you know, I'm sure that's, uh, applicable to, uh, not everything is going to be applicable to everyone. So, um, you know, I kept two or three things that I took away from there and plan on taking them forward in my life. Awesome. And when you, you know, in doing some research on you, you have a pretty succinct uh, title when you look at your LinkedIn. It's it says builder, meditator, investor, and you know you seem to have done you know really impressive things in all three of those categories. And I'd love to maybe ta- tag down them one by one. Um, and if we maybe start in order on on the building, you know, to my knowledge, it sounds like you got into coding and, and programming at a young age and, and you've built several businesses and are currently doing so. Um, can you maybe walk me through a little bit of the process and you know why you love to just to build generally, maybe whether it's companies or, or otherwise? Well, I've always been one of those people that tends to have a lot of different ideas. Um, I've always been kind of a geek and involved in technology. And so for me, Um, having watched my father, um, work a standard kind of nine to five job. And then all of a sudden, um, go out on his own and create his own small business and work from home. I just thought it was the coolest thing, how he could actually, um, work from home. And this was when that was like a really rare thing. Um, you know, today kind of remote work and, um, is, is pretty much uh, the norm, at least in the technology side. Um, but you know, I was just really thinking it would be fun to experiment and, and I was a big fan of Bill Gates way back in the day when I was a kid and he was kind of like windows was the hot OS at the time. Um, and then later, you know, of course, Steve jobs and and a ton of other entrepreneurs, but, um, this idea of being able to just dream something up and then go out there and create it is, is very much something that anyone can do today. I mean, the, the, um, you don't really need the resources that you once did even just, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, it was crazy if you had to build, um, something from scratch 
uh, for the internet, you know, way back in the day, you'd have to go and actually purchase a server and take that server to a co-location facility where you would plug it into the wall and understand how to set up the server. And there were all these hurdles to get over that just don't exist today. So, um, you know, it makes experimenting and trying new things um, relatively easy, um, especially if you have a, a CS degree or you can partner with someone that um, that has that de degree that could be your technical co-founder. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of just um, dreaming up ideas and then, um, you know, going out there and seeing if they, they have legs and if they actually launch them and see if they grow. Yeah, and at this point, you've had so many successes that you obviously have the confidence, you have some of the financial stability, you have the relationships, but early on in your career, or maybe if someone listening out here is early on in their career and they're interested in building, how do you develop that uh, the confidence that it's going to work out and maybe that risk tolerance that you can actually build something that will be successful versus, you know, the stereotypical nine to five that is, is a little safer. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's, how do you define safety? Like why is a nine to five safer? I would argue that a nine to five is really, um, more dangerous. Um, mm. you know, when you are, when you are, um, if you think about all of the kind of, um, what's happening now in terms of automation and the jobs are going away due to uh, advances in technology and automation. Um, it, that is a, it's kind of risky to now pick a career because the, uh, if you pick one career and you say, this is, you know, when I grow up, I want to be X, there's a, a pretty decent chance that in the next, you know, 10, 15 years, um, that position will be, pretty dramatically impacted by technology in some way, whether it's through AI, uh, you know, a great example is they used to have um, uh, doctors look at uh, lung x-rays looking for cancer. Now they can, they found out that AI can do it, you know, a hundred times as fast and, you know, I don't making up the numbers, but a lot more um, accurately as well. And they have a final person that obviously a human that looks at it and gives the, the final stamp of approval. But I mean, there's like no job that is safe right now um, from technology. So for me, I'd rather have a bucket of really diverse skills and kind of be a Swiss army knife and be able to jump in and out and try different things. And the only way that you're going to be able to do that is by kind of venturing out on your own and, and trying out um, your own ideas and kind of just really seeing where you fit in the world. And so um, especially when you're young and you're not tied to, uh, you know, you don't yet have um, the commitments that come along with um, being a father or mother um, or having aging parents or things that can like really tie up a lot of your time. Like now is the time to go and run and just go crazy and try a bunch of different ideas because the downside is, is, uh, very minimal. And th on top of that, like the other thing that, um, that just kind of was driving me when I was, when I was younger was that I just thought about the fact that, um, just watching kind of like my neighbors and my friends and, and my father and, you know, everyone, my, my dad did later in life, became an entrepreneur, but, um, you know, it's like why you've got this life and you only have so many years. Um, why not go out there and just make the most of it? I know that sounds like, you, you know, you'd read it in a textbook somewhere, but like you're, you're going to die. Right. So it's like, yeah. if you, if you're the, now don't get me wrong. This isn't for everyone. There, there are people out there. I've got several really close friends that say like, I like to work for someone else. I like to be mm -hmm. led, I like to have a direction, I like to have a vision set for me, and I like to do my best work. And that's totally fine. 
But if you're the type of person that has those ideas that is like thinking, gosh, I think I could give this a shot, or you see a product or service that you think could just be so much better if you were in control or running that product or service, that's a good kind of little hint that maybe you're the type of person that wants to run their own business, that wants to try something new. And so I just, I just believe like, gosh, like I want to be known not as the most successful person, but that, you know, people will look back and be like, well, he tried a lot of stuff and he was never scared to, to fail. You know, fail, failing is, it's, it's once you can release of that, there's been so much kind of like, um, you get beat up as a child when, and, and, you know, you don't, no one wants to be a failure, quote unquote failure. Right. Yeah. And we've always been told like, Oh, you got a bad grade. You failed at this, or this was something that you failed at. And it was such a negative thing to just carry around with us. Like, Oh man, I I'm scared of failing. If, what if I go out there and my business doesn't work once you can reframe that in your brain and just realize that we have been failing our entire lives. Like the act of walking is, you know, thousands of falls, like as a toddler, like trying to figure this out, like everything failure is, is really just admitting that you've learned something. And like once yeah. we can, we can frame it that way, there's no more fear. And then you can just go out and fail all over the place because every single time that's the price that you're paying. That's the, t the tuition that you're paying to kind of learn something new. And it might even be about redefining how you label success. Um, and I'm kind of going through this process in my mind that, you know, through all these interviews and things I'm reading and, you know, just as I'm growing, you know, that it's not necessarily about the paycheck. And although it's, it's nice to make money and you need it for certain things, um, you kind of have this balanced approach. It seems like where you talk a lot about optimal performance physically, mentally, um, but also living a balanced, a minimalist lifestyle. So has your definition of success changed over time? Do you have one that is pretty clear cut or, or is it, it you just kind of go by gut instinct? Yeah, I think that, you know, at the end of the day, we all would want to have in some way an impact. Um, and for me, success has been if the money comes, that's awesome, but I want to really, first and foremost, just really enjoy my craft and my work. And I love building products that impact people. And so for an example, you know, I built a meditation app a year and a half ago, launched that, you know, we have now probably a little over half a million downloads and um, a lot of people using it. And that's wonderful, but there's no, it's actually 100% free. We don't charge for it at all. But it's like honestly one of the most um, kind of rewarding and fulfilling products that I've ever worked on. Like uh, just because I we see the comments and the feedback come in from people saying, oh, this changed my life and created something positive in my life. And I think that's just a, a really powerful driver for me. The other thing too is that I really wish that we were a lot more um, in the States, uh, a lot more um, like other cultures. Like for example, if you travel to Japan, and you'll travel to Tokyo or anywhere in Japan, really, um, you will see that there is an appreciation for craft. And it's not um, one self self worth is tied up in the art of their craft and how well they execute something, no matter how small or big that might be. So, you know, you can be um, the absolute best at something. Uh, for example, there's a little coffee shop that I go to in Tokyo that this one uh, uh, man in his 80s, he has aged coffee beans, so he ages them kind of like wine, and he has beans that are you know 40 plus years old now, 
and he has a little tiny coffee shop and he believes that he deserves the absolute best kind of fermented aged coffee, you know, wears a tie in to work every single day and just absolutely loves his craft. Definitely not a millionaire, de not even close, you know, little tiny coffee shop serving, you know, 50 people a day, but just is so bought in to the fact that there's so much pride in what he has created and what he does um, that he, you know, is, is, is really respected in the community. And I feel like in the United States, like we point to, you must have a private jet. You must have this big house. You <laughs> must have all these things to have worth. Right. And that's really, um, I, I hope that we can somehow shift that message. Yeah. Have you ever seen, I think it's on Netflix, a documentary called hero dreams of sushi. Yeah. Euro. Yeah. Hero. Yeah. 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 It's that, and that, that goes along the same arc of, you know, he, I forget all the details, but pretty much you know, he's working 14, subway 16 station. hours a day in, in the sushi restaurant. And, yeah, and you know, subway. It, he's, he's, yeah, and he's just known as being the number one in his craft and just takes it very seriously. And they don't make any reference to how much money he makes, but it's, it's implied that it's not, you know, he's not a millionaire either. It's, it's about doing his job the best and, and, you know, being a master at what his craft is. Yeah. It's crazy how people, um, I guess when I was younger, I, I, I really, I fell into this trap too, where I thought, um, money would really bring happiness, but like that more money was better. And I realized that there is, there's a few things. One, I moved to San Francisco and I was living there. It's a very expensive city to live in. And I was living there. I hear you on that. Yeah. So, you know, like <laughs> it's, it's really bad. And I was, I was living out in the outer sunset, which is kind of like kind of slightly outside of the city. And um, I rented a, um, a place underneath the house because they were renting out the garage space and they turned the garage into a little studio. Um, long, story, long story short, that was a horrible place to live. Like there were rats running around down in the garage and I really couldn't afford my own place yet. And so I think that, you know, I have no doubt that that life sucks and more money is better in that situation, <laughs> right? Yeah. But then I, you know, when, once you can make a decent kind of middle of the road wage where um, you can afford to do a nice dinner once or twice a week, you can afford, you know, uh, a somewhat nice bottle of wine every once in a while, like then the, it just everything up from there, I, I realized that, you know, I had some friends that had founded companies, you know, the Twitters of the world or whatever it may be. And they've made billions of dollars. And you realize we're all wearing the same clothes, more or less like no one, at least in the tech scene is going fancy, fancy and all kind of like drinking the same beers. And there's not really that much, you don't gain that much more from having that much money. So, um, you know, I kind of realized that, well, the sweet spot is really trying to find enough to be able to um, provide, put a little way, uh, a little money away in savings. And so once you can realize that that is kind of like the goal, then it's no longer about how do I become a billionaire? You can just like relax a little bit and really kind of pursue your passions a little bit more and not have it be about, oh, I have to outdo this person. I have to make more money than this person, if that makes sense. No, it does. I'm, I'm actually pretty deep into reading uh ego is the enemy by ryan holiday mm -hmm. right now and um i'm not sure if you've read it but there's a section i have you have it, i mean i love his work and and there's a section where he talks about um making money and, and what's important to you and he he notes it's the blind 
uh, pursuit of more money just because it's more and not because it's, you know, I need to have this certain dollar amount and then I'm comfortable um, is something that leads a lot of people astray. And I feel like I, early in my career here as a 25 year old, have kind of fallen into that path and thinking, well, you know, 101,000 is better than 100,000. And it's like, well, all right, well, if you keep just trying to go up that roller coaster without knowing what the passion is and knowing what you really want your craft to be, you can kind of put yourself in a in a tough situation mentally. That's right. Yeah, there's there's a lot of um yeah, especially if you start surrounding yourself with other people that and start comparing yourself to other people. I mean, there's there's that idea of um experience stretching. Um if you're familiar with experience stretching at all, it's no. it's this, it's basically this idea that imagine that one day, um, you know, you take a trip to Hawaii and you're out looking at the sunset and the sunset's just beautiful and you just really enjoy and take it all in. The next day you do the same thing, another beautiful sunset, but this time, you know, maybe it's uh, your favorite glass of whiskey or your favorite beer, whatever it may be. And the third day you do that, but this time with like, let's just say, I mean, I don't smoke cigars, but let's say a cigar and a glass of whiskey. And so, so far along, you've ex- uh, kind of ex- stretched this experience to the point where that is now perfection for you. That is something that like to enjoy this moment, what would make it even better is this. And you keep layering on like, well, life would be even better if I had this, or if I just had this one more thing. And then once you have that, if you have to go backwards, all of a sudden you're in a really bad state. Like you're, you're just not as happy as you once were. So adding on these additional things actually just stretches your experience to the point where you have to feel in order to feel fulfilled, you have to have this constant or this, this certain threshold of wealth or, or whatever it may be. And so, you know, that's, I think, uh, uh, some of the trouble that we get ourselves into is, is by, you know, stretching that experience or looking up to other people, whether it be celebrities or whatever it may be and saying, I have to have this in order to feel worthy or, or feel, um, important. And, and that's a, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. And it, it sounds like from your experience that your thought process on this now isn't what it always was, right? That's, there might've been oh, more absolutely. of a money focus earlier. Oh, for sure. So is there an, is there an experience that happened or that made you shift that perception or is it more so that it's just kind of evolved over time as you've had some of these other responsibilities as a husband, as a father, as you're doing other ventures? It's a great question. Um, yeah, I think that the the thing that happened for me was that I was fortunate enough to sell a couple companies and make some pretty decent money. And um, when you are born in a, well, I think this would probably happen to anyone, but for me, it was, you know, I was born into a family that was not middle class, then eventually got to middle class when I was um, a little bit older and then kind of took a few steps back. And so we really didn't have, um, well, I would say that I had a good life. I, did, I don't want to say that I didn't have a good life because I we had a decent kind of middle-class life. Now, there was times where that was not always the case. But I think that when you make some money and then all of a sudden you um, feel like, okay, well, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to buy these things that I've always wanted. And you end up going out and buying this stuff and just realizing that it's this like, rush of energy that you get when you make the purchase. And then, um, you know, all of a sudden nothing again, like the experience stretching, nothing can be as good as that moment of the purchase. 
and then it diminishes from there. And so yeah. unless, unless there's something that is really backing it up um, in, in terms of the value that you're deriving from this, um, then I don't feel that, I just realize like, wait a second, it doesn't matter how much money you have, you're not gonna find your happiness going down this road. Like more money and more stuff doesn't mean happiness. It just means more to think about, more to worry about. Um, you know, I had this one, uh, I studied, um, I was studying tea for a while, um, like the art of drinking tea and the different types of tea. And I actually became a certified tea master as weird as that sounds, um, <laughs> because I, I really enjoyed the beverage and I liked traveling throughout Japan and China and just learning all about the, the different, um, dying art really. Cause like these old tea masters are dying off and the kids want to move to the city and they don't want to take up, um, you know, dad's old profession or whatever it may be. And commercial machines are, you know, taking over blah, blah, blah. But um, so I was studying this and I was meeting with this tea master and, um, he was like, he said, he said, do I want to know what his like favorite possession was? Like what, what he like, you know, kind of cherishes most. And I was says, yeah, of course. Yeah. Tell me. And he showed me, he pulled out of his pocket, um, a single key, a single key. And it was just a key to his house. And he said one key. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, yeah, your house is okay. It's not really nice, but it's all right. You know, it's like, yeah. what are you trying to tell me here? And, um, he's like, no, you can, you can have other keys. You can have keys to a boat, keys to a second car, keys to another house, keys to, he's like, I have one key. Like that's so imagine how freeing that is. Like, it's not, you no longer have to feel like, oh, I need all this stuff. I just have one thing. It's just like, it can be, you can make it your own. And I think that's like kind of this movement towards like these tiny houses and all this stuff that I just absolutely love this idea of not having to have this mental burden of having to outperform everyone else. And it's very freeing, you know, you don't, it, it just, it kind of just makes you reframe a lot of this stuff. And I, I think that was a, a big moment for me when, when he told me that story. That's, that's an incredible story. And just the, tr the aspect of traveling, and opening up your horizons to exactly. people and situations like that. Um, I, I would have to imagine that meditation has been, whether it's the, the cause or the effect of some of this, this mindset shift as well. How did you get into meditation? How long ago was that? Uh, it was about, um, it's a good question. I was just asked that today and I, I didn't, I couldn't exactly recall the, the exact date, but I, I know that around, Around 10 years ago, a little longer than 10 years ago, I moved to um, Hayes Valley in San Francisco, uh, and that's where the San Francisco Zen Center is based, and I was living uh, half a block from the Zen Center, and I had dabbled in meditation prior to that, picked up some books here or there, and you know tried it a half dozen times, um, but then I took a course at the Zen Center and, and was really excited about what I learned. And so having that Zen center right there and actually some of our tea lounge was based there as well was a really, um, just nice thing. Very easy for me to just walk across the street. And then I ended up buying a pad for my house and whatnot. Um, and just, um, sitting at home as well. So I think that was the, the big thing. And then the reason that I was, I was kind of like, um, driven towards this is I, you know, grew up and with technology, meaning like old school, like computers with disk drives, like in my room, um, had cell phones the second they came out, had pagers way back in the day. And so I was always like this geek that was always plugged into, into technology. 
And um, I realized my kind of addiction and need for to get um, online connected, um, reading news stories. It's like I had all these different little addictions and that, then that eventually became the big social movement created a, a pretty big social website back in 2004 um, yep. that was um, that was part of the, the web 2.0 world and then later turned into mobile and, and then from then on it was just kind of social was everywhere but um, one of the things I realized is that you know we were all trying to create these experiences to really lock people into their devices we wanted you to feel like you were missing this content we wanted you to feel like you should be opening your phone and checking um, your feed more often. And I saw that, you know, when I was at Google as well, when we were working on some of the social initiatives there, entire teams of people that are, their sole job is to figure out retention and churn, meaning how how uh, likely you are to leave the product, how often you come back to the product and how to figure out um, running various experiments to try and hook you, try to pull you in. And what this means is that this creates a mind that is in constant need of stimulation. And it's something mm -hmm. where when you don't have it, you feel uneasy. You feel, you feel like you need, like something is missing. And it is, it is, it is truly an addiction. Like, I mean, just think about how you feel when you don't have your phone. Like try and put your phone and not use your phone for a couple of days. Like it's like, it's crazy. We can no yeah. longer feel comfortable just being bored, you know, like try to be bored. See how weird that feels. That's horrible. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so it's just like, it's, I, I understood that there was people out there trying to trick me and trying to get me hooked on this stuff. And then I also understood that if I didn't have it, I felt as though it was kind of like crack. Like I needed my next little hit of this stuff. And yeah. so I realized like I can go one of two ways. One, I can go down the road of, increased anxiety, more dependence on technology, um, and just kind of have that drive my life, which we know, you know, it may be fine and a lot of people can deal with it at when they're younger, but as you get older, you're just, um, you get worse and worse. Like it leads to like sleepless nights and like all cut, you can't shut off your brain. Your brain becomes, think of it like, I think of it like these grooves that are being defined in your brain, right? And the more and more um, you're doing this, the grooves are getting deeper and deeper and these patterns are, are becoming like set up and they're getting a little bit more solidified as time goes on. So my concern is, is that we dig these really deep grooves in our brain and then, you know, you get into your late thirties and forties and all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, like I'm in the world of hurt now. I'm really yeah. anxious all the time. I'm having to take Xanax, like, you know, I think it's even happening at a younger age now, which is extremely terrifying. Yeah. My, my niece that's um, just entering high school, I was talking to my sister last night, took the phone away from her for a couple of days because, you know, she had done something bad and she, she acted like she had, was doing a, like a heroin withdrawal or something. Like it was just like yeah. an absolute freak out. Anyway, long story short, meditation for me has been that ability to say, I need a break. I need to let my mind um, uh, to, to get comfortable with having a little bit of space and that space is a good thing. So we don't always have to be connected um, and just really allowing my thoughts to, to kind of just to be able to sit with them and not let them carry me away to some place, meaning not allow them to run away to a thought that is, 
um, me churning about a past event that was, that was troubling or me worrying about the future. Um, and it has given me just that tiny window and that tiny glimpse of space that allows me just to take a deep breath and just like, ah, just like let go of all this stuff and all this baggage that we kind of carry around. And I think it's a very wise practice to pick up, especially when you're younger, because you'll see that life over time just throws so many curveballs at you, whether it's a really crazy, um, uh, you know, upsetting breakup that you might have with a significant other, or it's, you know, your first business going under, um, whatever it may be, we need to have tools. It's just, you have to consider it tools in a toolkit. The way I look at meditation is like one of the pillars, important pillars in life. Like we have, we go to the gym and we hit the gym and the weights really hard and we run on the treadmill and we feel amazing. And that's great for our physical body. Um, but we also need to, we can't forget about the mind. We got to take care of the mind. We've got to protect the mind and we need to give it time to just be. And so that, that's, um, that's what excites me about spreading the word of meditation to more people. Yeah. On the note of apps and people getting you addicted to it, I mean, everyone I think can relate to that where you're sitting down or you're in line somewhere and you open up email and then you go to Instagram and then you go to Twitter and you go a couple other places. Then like you go back to Instagram, like two minutes later, it's like nothing, like nothing has changed. And you just, you, you feel worse the more and more you just scroll and scroll and scroll. Yeah. And then there's the um, letdown of like, oh, that person didn't like my post or it's yeah. not getting as many views as I hope. Or did that person block me? It's like, there's all of these like, pointless. yeah, there's all these little things in there that are like trying to like get you like just addicted. Like, oh, oh, that person liked me. Oh, that feels good. That feels good. That yeah. feels good. That feels good. You know, it's, it's so, it's really creepy actually. It's, cra- <laughs> it's crazy. So, how do you balance the fact that you you know one of the main pieces for meditation uh, that's helpful is that you know it gets you into your mind and it gets you away from technology, but at the same time the thing that is getting people into meditation are apps like yours and there's other ones too out in the market too. So um, how do you balance that side where you're not really getting away from the phone, but you kind of are? Like I, I never really thought about that until. You just kind of brought up the technology piece. Yeah. I mean, I think technology is a very powerful and important tool. And I think it's going to be even more so in the coming decades. Like the fact that I'm wearing a a ring on my finger right now, the aura ring that measures my Mm. heart heart rate variability. Um, It does all these like crazy sleep stats, tells my different stages of sleep at night. Um, You know, there's just like a lot of data that we're collecting that is going to allow us to make um, better decisions in our life. And I, I think that, you know, capturing important moments with like loved ones and documenting important events that you go to, I mean, all that it, it used in moderation can be amazing, you know? So mm. I think that, um, my push is not to say, okay, like here's my pager number, like page me up. Cause I don't have a phone anymore. <laughs> like that's not, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's not my push. My push is just like, let's make sure that every day includes a little bit of a break, um, just mm-hmm. just just to be and just to kind of like reset, you know. Um, uh, and I think that giving us just 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 knowing that we don't have to be dependent on on all of these things um, is going to be a great thing for our mental health long term. And so that can be a whole variety of things. Like I have a, a friend of mine that does a social fast where they uninstall Instagram and oh, Twitter yeah. and everything else on their phone. And they'll do that one month a year and they'll, every January. Okay. Boom. 
no, 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 no uh, social media at all. Um, I like to put a rubber band around my phone. And so I look down, have a red rubber band around my phone. I look at it. And the second I pick up my phone, I see the rubber band and the rubber band is a trigger to remind me and ask a simple question. Do I really need to pick up the device right now? And 90% of the time, the answer is no. Um, mm. You know, because you'll be sitting there and you'll just like, like you said a few seconds ago, it's like out of habit. It's like, boom, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? And it's like, if you just, just implement a couple little things like that, um, iOS now has built in time limits on apps. It doesn't prevent yep. you from using the app, but it tells you little warnings, little nudges like, hey, guess what? You've used Instagram for two hours today. You know, it's like yeah. you might want to take a break. And also, you know, finding these times to speaking about like pursuing your craft, going after your personal passions, doing things that are truly fulfilling in your life. Like you need to have time to do these things, to have times to meditate. And you'd be surprised when you implement some of these little things to remind you to put down the phone, all of a sudden it unlocks hours of your life to do other really awesome things. And that can yeah. be learning Japanese on your phone, but not going and playing a game or something else, right? It can be mm. using technology. It's just, you know, it's just a designed life. Like, like, you know, Tony says, just like a thoughtful life. One that is planned. One is that one that is intentional, I think is really important. Just thinking through your days and, and, and guarding these precious moments, guarding all of your moments and saying, saying no to most things, you know, and letting slowly letting things in. I think it's important. Yeah. Yeah, and if you, it's kind of like if you map it out, everyone's got the same 24 hours. You spend however much on sleep, and then if you keep track for a few days, I've done this, where it's like, all right, let's 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 just track. What do I do every half hour? And then either you write down, all right, I was on Instagram from noon to two, right. or you, you kind of catch that in your mind. You say, oh, if I'm going to be honest, I'm going to write that down. I'm not going to do it, and that's kind of a way that I've used to prevent and keep myself focused. Um and so we've talked about the two two of the three pieces that I wanted to get to. And the third is on the investment side. And that's been a huge part of your life, uh, you know, individually and then through Google Ventures and you know, all of the different uh, private companies that, that you've invested in and seen success with. I saw an article that you wrote a, a while back that uh, the TechCrunch founder asked you, you know, what your philosophy for investment was. And you, you half jokingly said that you just trust your gut. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm curious if, is that the real way that you determine whether to take an investment or, or what other things that you look for or tips you have for folks that are looking to get into that type of world? Yeah. I mean, I can definitely weigh in and let you know what, uh, you know, a, a typical Silicon Valley investor would be looking for. Um, yep. I would say that there's a few things. One, um, Anytime there is a new market that, that kind of like springs up, um, there is a ton of like clones in that kind of that market that come out um, that are kind of, you know, knockoffs of that original product. And some of them will get a little bit of funding. Most times it's one or two people. If it's a brand new market, there's like, you know, a Lyft and an Uber and there's not a whole lot. There's a few others that get funded, but they kind of um, dwindle and eventually fizz out. But um, so most investors are looking for truly unique novel ideas, like an idea that hasn't been done before, an idea that is not just a copycat idea. We want to see original thinking. Um, and then also uh, a, a founding team that um, just has uh, the the kind of a team that's put together that um, 
has, you know, a technical co-founder, someone that has a product vision and product instincts, um, but also that is, is just honest about what they don't know. I think that one of the biggest mistakes mm -hmm. I made as a young entrepreneur was just covering up, um, you know, and trying to kind of like hide where I had little holes and gaps. And I think that um, some of the ways that entrepreneurs, when they come and pitch investors, is, you know, we've seen hundreds of pitches from different entrepreneurs. And when you poke around and ask certain questions, you you can quickly spot when in, when someone is just trying to kind of like fill the air and they really don't fully understand that realm. We'd much rather hear like, you know, this is something I'm looking to hire for in the next six months and it's not an, a core competency of mine, but it's something that I understand is important to the business. Um, so let me research this and get back to you. That's the right answer to have when talking to mm. a, a venture capitalist. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I think that if we find the, the um, you know, uniqueness and novelty of an idea along with just a team that's willing to take on the world, I think that's, uh, that's the combo, the one-two combo that we're looking for. Mm. And so are there certain other guidelines that you stick to that you really like, you stick yourself in a corner? Like, for example, you know, I only, you know, I being you, like you would only invest in something that you truly understand, which, you know, is the tech world. And maybe there's a few other, uh, you know, passions that you have maybe in tea or in, in other types of health and fitness, um, or that you only go for people that, um, you know, have done this before and they have a history. Like, are there any like set golden rules that you have that you never break? No, I think that's a, that's a great question. And I think that, um, it's important to seek out investors that understand your space. Um, mm. it, you know, if you come talking to me about, you know, a, um, let's see, like something in the musical space, like that's just it's something I've never in, invested in. And it's an industry that I don't fully understand. So you might be better, um, seeking out some of the, uh, venture capitalists and angel investors that have d done deals in Los Angeles, let's say, or some other big music hub. Um, so just trying to find that right partner at the firm by kind of like going through, if you've heard about a, um, a venture capital firm, you can typically go to their website. You can click on the partner, um, uh, bios and it'll tell you what, what typically what companies they've invested in and then just trying to find and then email, um, that partner is the way to go. Um, uh, the other thing that we avoid is we avoid small markets and ideas that are hobbies or lifestyle businesses. I would say that that's probably my number one reason why, um, I turn down entrepreneurs is that they will come up with an idea that is going to be a great business that could do, um, you know, several million a year in revenue, but not get to kind of like, you know, crazy venture scale. Like when you're the mandate that we're given by our investors, because VCs have investors as well, they're they're called LPs, limited partners that put money into your firm. They are looking for big um, kind of public company type returns, like um, either a very large, you know, multi-billion dollar company onward. So oftentimes I will sit down and get pitched ideas where you're like, wow, that could actually be a company that makes five, 10, $20 million a year, but I don't see it getting any bigger than that. And if that's mm. the case, um, it's not really, it doesn't really need venture capital. That's not what venture capital is really for. And you're probably better off going the route of um, smaller angel investors or just private friends and family. And, um, and the funny thing is, is that is not to say at all, it is a bad idea. That's, that's not a bad idea. That's just like, you know, go do that. That sounds awesome. You're just talking to the wrong yeah. person to, to back you, you know? 
Yeah. And so how do you balance, you have, you know, so many different things that you're really great at and that you're focused on, you know, building, uh, you know, one or more companies at a time, um, you know, investing in several companies, working on crafts of, you know, meditation and, uh, living a balanced life. Like how do you, how do you block out your day? Like, you know, how do you find time for everything? That's what I think a lot of people listening would want to know. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I think that it's very important. Like I, I was alluded to earlier about having kind of protected space. Um, you know, it's something that, that we talk about a lot at, at the office. And, um, you know, for me, that means, well, let me just walk you through a typical day. So I tend to get yeah. up pretty early. Um, you know, this morning I was up probably around 6.30 or so. Um, I have a little, as of tomorrow, it'll be one-year-old little girl, which is amazing. So Congrats. thank you. Um, she's <laughs> awesome. Her name is Zelda. And, uh, I will go, um, spend some time with Zelda in the morning, you know, have my coffee and just kind of hang out with her. Um, and just, you know, get a lot of good quality time in there. Um, I'll jump in the shower this morning. I did the Wim Hof method, which is, uh, some of the ice training that mm -hmm. I'm doing. So 30 seconds of like really cold water. Cause I'm on week one right now. Um, <laughs> then I, you know, uh, I typically do intermittent fasting. So I skip breakfast head into the office, um, have some tea, I block out the first couple of hours to get through some emails and catch up on some things, um, limit myself to kind of like two or three big meetings per day, um, especially in this mode where we're kind of in, in the product building mode again. Um, and then, you know, a big part of what I do as a CEO is to find, attract and retain the absolute best talent. So I spend a lot of time trying to find people that are just absolute rock stars and people that won't need to be, you know, managed heavily that can just kind of run different divisions. So I think, you know, a really important thing is, is I don't really hire that quickly, but when we do make a hire, it's someone that's been like thoroughly kind of vetted, um, and hopefully someone that'll stick with us for, for a long time and is the right kind of hire for the position. So, um, I spent a lot of my time doing that. And then, uh, because they do come to the office early, I tend to kind of wrap things up, um, you know, around this time around five or so five thirty. um, head home, try to get in, uh, high intensity interval training, kind of, um, uh, you know, a bike ride. I have a little Peloton that I, mm -hmm. I, I do. I try to hit the sauna if I can, cause it's just so healthy for you. Um, there's a lot of really interesting data around sauna usage. Yep. Um, and then, uh, you know, have dinner with my wife and kind of wrap things up, but I do not go, uh, on my laptop. Um, you know, occasionally like every few weeks I'll, I'll be like, Hey, you know, I really wanted to finish that one thing. Cause it's, you know, respectful to get back to this person in a timely manner. So I'm going to do a little extra work tonight, but you know, I kind of like set up this firewall where when I come home, it's not about work. It's about spending time with my wife and family and, um, and making sure to not turn on that, that laptop, uh, and just like leave it in the, in the car. So yeah, uh, that's kind of it. And then, you know, weekends also no work, just like really, um, focused on, on doing other things or around the house or getting out of the house and taking the family out and doing things like that. But here's the key though. I got to tell you mm. key is that I don't watch TV. I watch mm. the occasional basketball game. Um, uh, you know, I, I love basketball and then every once in a while, Trailblazers? I watch the Blazers, but I, I, the war I'm from, you know, having lived in the Bay area for oh, so long. Okay. I love, yeah, yeah. I love the, uh, the warriors and it's <laughs> such a fun team to watch right now. But, um, you know, TV cutting out Netflix, doing the occasional game, like every other week that I'll, I'll get into. Um, but other than that, you know, that just frees up so much time to read, to learn other languages, to, 
to you know spend time with your significant other. There's this like to meditate. Oh, I should say that's the one perk I will say. It's how I kind of cheat on the meditation front is we have a meditation room at at Oak, um, and so we get to meditate on the clock. Uh, so that's yeah, that, that is my one cheat. I, I do get to meditate at work, which is awesome. But I think every office should provide that. To be honest. Yeah, that's all. And, you know, maybe to, to just point to a few things. I mean, you know, you made a big point about in the morning and at night and on the weekends, like there's no work being done and you, you've set those boundaries. And if you kind of take this back 30 minutes ago when we're talking about what is success for you and, you know, how are you mapping out your life and living a purposeful life the way that, you know, Tony Robbins lays it out, um, you seem to have a very firm and clear cut uh, decision for What's going what, what matters most? What are the key priorities in what order? And, you know, what, what time do you place on each one? Um, because I think something that everyone realizes is that there's, there's always more work to be done mm -hmm. and you want to be a hard worker and you want to get as much done as you can and push the ball forward and, and, you know, master your craft. But there's a point where, you know, everything else can kind of drop off beside it. If, if you don't really pay attention to where you're spending your time. Yeah, I think that's it. I think you nailed it. It really is about really paying attention to where you're spending your time and just being very thoughtful about that. And I will say to my comments about Netflix uh, a minute ago, I don't think that's necessarily fair because um, if I had to think about it, it's not a, Netflix is not the enemy. The enemy is mm -hmm. Netflix every single night, right? Like mm -hmm. if that is just like all you do and all of a sudden you realize, but, but, every single night in that it's causing other things to suffer. Like I have friends that say, I just don't have time to go to the gym and they're 40 pounds overweight. And it's like, well, yeah. wait a second. You watch, you watch, you know, you're watching YouTube videos and Netflix like three hours a night. You're like, come on. Of course you do. Right. So yeah, yeah. it's just really, when you can be a little bit and kind of examine um, your life in terms of keeping a log of everything and just looking at it, you know, just go and don't change anything. Just go out there and for the next two weeks, eat whatever you want to eat, do whatever you want to do, check your phone, all that stuff, but just kind of, you know, write it down, make a little note. I did this, did that, or put it in your calendar and kind of block it out so you can see it visually on the screen. And then some, and then ask yourself like, is this the life that I want to live? And the answer is yes. Then like, awesome. You've nailed it. But oftentimes you'll look at that and be like, you know what? I actually did want to learn this language or I do want to spend more time with my dog who I never take for a walk anymore, which is actually waiting yep. outside of my office right now, waiting for me to take for a walk. <laughs> but you know, yeah. like then you can look at that and you can decide for yourself, like, okay, it's time I dial this back a tiny bit um, because I do want to have a balanced life. And I know that I'm going to be the happiest and the best version of myself when I find that balance. That's awesome, man. That's a great way to, uh, to close out and great advice for anyone that's, you know, I think we're all struggling uh, a little bit in one way or another at the balance and trying to figure out what's right for us. And everyone's, you know, has different goals and everyone has different things they're looking to do. So um, I think being in touch with that, writing it down, seeing how you feel when you eat certain foods, when you do this, when you sleep this amount, all those different things add up. Um, and so maybe we can just close this out. If you can just let everyone know you got a lot going on with, with Oak, um, with the Kevin Rose podcast, with everything else you're doing. So if you let us just know where we can find you and find out more about it. Yeah. If you want to see me doing some of the crazy kind of biohacks and stuff, Instagram's definitely the the best place. And I'm just Kevin Rose on Instagram. And uh, I've been trying to do the splits lately. And I have the splits machine. That's like, it looks like a medieval kind of torture device. And you sit mm. in it and you kind of crank it. And then it slowly like, like braces, like, but pushes your legs open. It's insane. 
Um, anyway, Whoa. you'll see me hurt myself on there, but I do. That sounds I, painful. It is very painful. Um, but I do, I do all kinds of like little crazy, um, biohacks and like little intermittent fasting stuff and cold exposure. And some of these things I just find one will give you just a ton of more energy and just make you feel better. But, um, they're also just fun to do. And, and I enjoy, um, stuff like that. So that's all over at, at Instagram and then, uh, kevinrose.com for, uh, links to my podcast where, yeah, I have all kinds of, um, crazy people on there talking about just how to live a balanced life and, um, and, and one that is really, um, I would say, uh, balanced, but at the same time, uh, deliberate and, and when you are in a certain mode, getting the most out of that mode. So, you know, one of the things that yep. I, I believe in is, um, when I am in work mode and I am working those, you know, eight hours per day or seven, eight hours per day, like I'm really focused and I, and I want to get the most out of that time. And so yep. I'm really into kind of productivity hacks and just figuring out how we can optimize that time. So, um, yeah, uh, you'll find all that stuff through some of the guests I've, I've had on the show. Awesome. Yeah. I, I, I refer to that as, you know, being where your feet are. And that's what I've heard of a lot of the guests say. It's like, when it's work time, it's work time. When I'm with my significant other, it's that if I'm running, I'm doing that. Um, and so I think that's just, that's really valuable advice. So, um, Kevin, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. Um, love talking to you and, and learning about, you know, everything that you're focused on. It's tough to keep up. So everyone go check him out on the podcast, Instagram, check out Oak. Um, and thanks again, Kevin, for coming on the show. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. And thanks for doing the show. I think it's a, a really important thing and it's, it's something that, um, I wish I had tuned into, um, when I was younger. So, you know, now that I'm old, yeah. old man, 41 years old. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm, I'm glad that you're doing it. So, so thanks for all that you do. Uh, awesome, man. Appreciate it. Well, I'll let you go, uh, go walk your dog. That's uh, right. Cause he, he or she is, is waiting. At Toaster. Toaster's waiting. Toast. <laughs> yeah. That's his name. Mr. That's Toast. Awesome. awesome, man. All right. All right. Well, thanks again. Take care. See ya. All right, guys, thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Millennial Momentum Podcast. Remember, you can find me, Tommy Tahoe, on Instagram, on Twitter. Hit us up on Facebook, YouTube, uh, millennialmomentum.net for all of the info from this episode and every other episode that we put out. And please, please, if you find any value here, leave a review, subscribe, share it out on social media, tag me, I respond to everything. Uh, thank you so much for the support, for the love, for the listens. Uh, let's have a great December. Let's close the year strong. Out.